Hey gang, it's John. We got another episode of Book Club here for you. Our guest this time is music journalist Gary Graff, and we're talking about his new book, Alice Cooper at 75. A few months ago, we had Martin Popoff on here to talk about his Bowie at 75 book. This is a series, and these books are gorgeous. They're really big coffee table books, but also, you know, coffee table books, you usually just kind of flip through and look at the pictures. These are meant to be read as well. Um, so Gary came on here to talk about Alice's book, and it cut, pretty much lays out everything. The, the format, as I mentioned before, 75 kind of key moments in Alice's career. And uh, Gary writes about each one, going way back to his upbringing in Arizona and in Detroit, and then up until recently. And it gets into everything, how he became kind of the shock, jock ma- or shock rock master that he is, a born-again Christian, his love of golf, being discovered by Frank Zappa, uh, Bob Ezrin's help in really kind of solidifying him and making him a great album maker, his comeback with Poison, all of this stuff. I'm going to have a book to give away to Patreon supporters. And of course, I'll tell you more about that at the end. But for now, here's Gary talking about the history of Alice Cooper as it pertains to his book. It's a great chat. Gary, what is, for starters, why were you the guy to write this book? I mean, I'm here on Ground Zero in Detroit, which is Alice Cooper Ground Zero. Uh, for starters. And then, you know, this is the third book I've done with this publishing company. So we we have a relationship. We're aware of each other. They're aware of the Detroit factor. And they were aware that I've been covering Alice Cooper for a very, very long time and mm-hmm. talk to him at least once a year, if and often more than once a year. About you talk to Alice once a year, if not yeah, more often? Uh, yeah, usually, you know, related to a concert coming to town or a new album project. Yeah. Um, we've hung, we've been able to hang out a little bit. I just did his. I moderated his Comic Con ap- appearance here Fun. in Detroit and got the uh, what I hope is the world's largest. We are not worthy. Uh, six, <laughs> we ended we ended with six hundred people on their knees uh-huh. uh, doing We are not worthy and yeah. had a good time. Had a good time with that. So yeah, it was just uh, it was yeah. It's 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 one of the perfect artists for me to mm-hmm. to take on and do a book about. So what is your personal history with Alice? It obviously goes back many years. You know each other well. Where did it begin? Where did, And where did your fandom begin? Was that first? Or was yeah, yeah. your relationship with Al- Alice first? The the fandom was first. I was a kid. You know, I wasn't even a teenager when, uh-huh. you know, the first albums came out. And it was, it was this case. I was already a music fan at that young age because I had a brother who was significantly older than I was and a hippie. Uh-huh. So growing up, I was hearing the best music, you know, uh-huh. the Beatles, the Stones, Yardbirds, Cream, you know, you name it, Motown, all yeah. of that. So, you know, and I have memories of being a three-year-old, seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. So I was already in the music, was already starting to buy my own music, you know, my own uh, records and stuff. And here's Alice Cooper. Uh-huh. That everybody hates, you know, my parents hate him. Even my, you know, my the older siblings hate him. You know, Alice likes to say they were the stake through the heart of the love generation. <laughs> so this this was the anti hippie, and you know the light bulb goes on. I got to get some of this, you uh-huh. know, because th- because this can be mine. Yeah, it's not something I'm sharing with go. an older sibling or something. And Led Zeppelin was 
was a kind of dividing line like that too back then mm -hmm. so that's where the fandom started and you know there was the typical oh yeah you know he kills chickens he hacks up baby dolls he cuts his head off on stage yeah i'm, yes. I'm there i'm in i'm in so uh so you know a fan you know yeah. then flash forward to when i am a professional working um music journalist and this would have been around 1986 when he was doing the comeback after he had cleaned up and mm -hmm. uh, and they came back it was the nightmare returns was the concept and working here in Detroit at a daily newspaper and Michigan was ground zero for the comeback. They, they, the first week of shows on that tour were all in Michigan, you know, four, four smaller cities leading up to what became uh, two nights at the big arena in Detroit. One of which, one of which was broadcast on uh, MTV as a Halloween special. And so that's when I interviewed him for the first time and got to meet the management and because it was Detroit, they were really courting a relationship. You know, they wanted Detroit to be yeah. in his corner. So we we got to have a very friendly conversation. Nice. And it just and it just went from there. Great. What yeah, album did you come in on? I'm curious. I would on you know, as a fan. Yeah. Like when did as, you what album was the one where you're like, I'm a fan now, I'm buying this, I'm on board? It would have been killer. Okay, uh, and and then I went back to love it to death, but it would yeah. have been killer just because uh, that was the timing of it. Sure, and you know, red cover, snake on it. My mom, of course, thought it was, my mom thought it was gross. Yeah, I'm yes. getting it. And uh, <laughs> of course, and then pretty much listened to everything, you know, all the yeah. way through since then. You know, I did. I even went back and got pretty for you and easy action. Yeah, um, and you know, was kind of like, you know, wow, what happened? <laughs> between no those, kidding. Between those two and love it to death, and no kidding. And that was its own learning kind of curve for me because I did, I kind of started to look at interviews and things like that and learned a lot really about not just Alice, but the music industry and, mm -hmm. you know, what a producer does in this case, Bob Ezrin, who really yeah. turned everything around. Absolutely. Plus, don't you think those first two albums, I mean, it's no wonder that he was basically discovered by Frank Zappa because there feels like a huge Zappa influence on those first two albums. Well, and they didn't, you know, Zappa didn't care. He kind of let them, yes. left them to their own devices. And, and the sole, the criteria to which Zappa, Zappa signed them to his label, I don't get what you're doing, mm -hmm. but, pe but people hate it. So it must be something. <laughs> that's, that's not you. That's not quite how John Hammond signed Bob Dylan and Aretha Franklin. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know? Good point. <laughs> so, yeah. So they were, they were left largely to their yeah. own devices. They had some production help. They had David Briggs, Neil Young's producer on Pretty Street, on um, yeah. Easy Action. Um, not a great relationship there, but he didn't get it either. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, but, that, you know, they're fascinating to listen to probably once. Exactly. Um, it's interesting you say that. I've always mostly been a greatest hits fan of Alice. Sure. I know the hits. I have a couple of CDs. I've seen him in concert a couple of times. I saw him with Motley Crue about 10 years ago. And yeah. it was just one of the, and I was pretty close to the stage. And it was one of the most, one of the best shows I've ever seen. When that giant, when he's doing a Feed My Frankenstein right. and this with gigantic, the yeah, yes, the, the Frankenstein yeah. that looks like a, a, a float or a balloon in the Thanksgiving Day Parade or whatever mm -hmm. comes on. That was incredible. And then I saw him a couple of years after that headlining a show in Scotland with the Tubes and the Mission, which was really oh, wild. Wow, yeah. That was a great bill because I love all three of those bands. And former the early uh the early guys, not Glenn, but you know, the early band members oh, yeah. Yeah. came out that on, was stage on that show, yeah. in Scotland and performed. 
And I just thought, I love this guy, but I had never investigated or gone album by album. Let's listen to all of them. There's more to love there than I thought, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. From yeah, love no. it to death, pretty much until for me, I, I really like from the inside, I would say pretty much everything from there is like a four to five star album. Yeah. There's um, one of the things that gets obscured or eclipsed by the Alice Cooper mystique and the image and the stage show and everything is the fact that he and they as a band and the set, you know, for those, those first albums, they made some great music. They wrote yeah. really good songs. They conceptually, uh, these were, these were very good, good albums. And yeah. that's something a lot of people don't, don't necessarily realize. I, I agree. I didn't realize, I mean, he does, he's never had the strongest singing voice, and to be fair, for whatever reason, he's only got three or four songs that might still get played on classic rock radio. Yeah. My feeling is that he's never been much of a singles per, uh, artist. He's been more of like a conceptual artist. So you have to buy into the whole mystique. You have to buy into the show, the look, the entire album, because you're not going to hear a song that you really love on the radio very often that makes you turn it up. You know what I mean? And so that's, that was, has always been my hesitancy outside of the greatest hits. But now it's just like, man, there's a lot to be had in this yeah, there's discography. A lot, there's a lot of meat. And for, fortunately for Alice, there's a large, there's a lot yeah. of audience, you know, for it. He, and to be honest, he doesn't ever have to put out any new music. People are still going to come to the shows or anything. Yeah. He's that, he's that well entrenched and, and that's liberating yes. really, because now he gets to make his music on his own terms i mean you know i don't know yeah. what a record company executive would have said about the detroit stories album back in 2021 but it yeah. fits alice it fits alice cooper to a t it totally and, does and by the way it's a great album it's yes. a great it's a great rock and roll album so, i did i wanted to ask you and this is my own perception i could be wrong but it feels like and this is not a knock on alice in any way it's not, <laughs> i'm not trying to be critical but it felt like if we're finding 75 things to get excited about for Alice Cooper, it it's, it's been short shrift the last 30 years or so. It's a lot of independent, independently released albums. Some are good. It's a lot of trend chasing. What do you think? Cause I felt like, boy, where do we go after about, you know, Hey, stupid. How, what, what's there to talk about after that? And and I, I think there's a lot uh, to talk about there. First of all, you have that trio of albums: uh, the Last Temptations, Brutal Planet, and Dragon Town, which was which were very kind of commentary, socially conscious. Uh, not necessarily where you'd expect Alice Cooper to go, but fascinating in that clearly these were the concerns of Alice Cooper, the man. Mm. You know that here's this world in chaos, and I've got I'm worried about it. But and, but yet filtering through Alice Cooper, the character, who's able to look at, well, this is a world in chaos. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what the character does. And I thought artistically those were fascinating. Yeah. You know, really, really strong albums. And then there's been the continuing presence of the stage show, mm -hmm. of course, you know, True. and then, and how that's evolved. And then his appearances in other media. Yes. You know, Wayne's World, uh, Dark Shadows, the Staples commercial, the mm -hmm. Callaway Golf commercials, the uh, Progressive insurance yeah. commercial with Baker Mayfield, um, 
you know, just how he has been able to make Alice Cooper part of the fabric. Yes. Of, of the world. Perfectly of the, said. You know, Jesus yes. Christ, Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, yes. being part of that on the TV special. So yes. that's been, that to me is the story of the, of the last 30 years or so. I had no problem finding things to put in the second half of the book. That is perfectly said. You're right. I hadn't thought of it quite that way. There has always been a sort of song and dance man, sort of actorly, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, He's an entertainer. Very, yeah, entertain, very entertaining, vaudevillian, show-tune, showbiz angle to Alice Cooper. It's almost like, well, he's been playing a part all this long, right. all this time, you know? How much does he actually love horror and heavy metal? I don't know, but he's made it his stock and trade because he's great at it, you know? And it, and it does come from a base where, yes, he does love horror and yes. heavy metal, but he also loved Busby Berkeley musicals yes, that's and it. MGM musicals. It's, it's very interesting that the people, the mainstream people who got Alice Cooper first were the guys in the Friars Club back in the 70s, um, you know, Milton Berle. And, uh, you know, Sinatra and Bob Hope and Jack Benny. They're the and ones who said, oh, I get it now. It's vaudeville. They, right. right. They saw yeah. the vaudeville in Alice Cooper. Alice told, has told me a couple occasions, George Burns yeah. used to say to him, yeah, Gracie and I back in the 20s, we were, we were working with this guy who had a guillotine and he cut his head <laughs> off on stage. And, and all these people, and they, they embraced Alice yeah. for, for that sensibility. So, yeah, it's, it's entertainment. It's it's interesting. It's entertainment with a message. And Alice Cooper show is a crime and punishment song. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know Alice. Alice the character behaves badly. Yeah. You know, commits crime, pays the price for that crime, and then, you know, they they tread lightly on this, but then is reincarnated. Mm. Yeah. You know, he is he is redeemed. His yes. you know when it wasn't an accident all those years that after his beheading or his electrocution or, you know, being, being hung, he would then come bouncing back on the stage in a white suit. Yes. That, yes. that was, that Good was, point. The, that was crime punishment and redemption. I hadn't thought of that. And, you know, you mentioning, you nailed, you nailed it earlier. I was thinking the arc of, of Alice's career is probably rock star wilderness. Every artist goes through a wilderness period. Right. And then with Wayne's World, it becomes celebrity and legend. And yeah. like a lot of legacy artists, they just kind of ride that legend wave however they want to let ride it for the rest of their careers because they're yeah. made men by that point, you know. And hope and hopefully maintain a quality. Exactly. Um, I've, I've yes. seen a lot of I've seen a lot of them. I'm sure you have oh. too that have have not yeah. maintained yeah. Uh, they, to the legend status that they yes. that they've reached. Yes. Yes. And some of them disappear and some of them like Alice embrace it because it was always there. It was always part of the persona in the first place. Now you mentioned the, what's it called? When you come back to life, you oh, just the said redemption, it. The redemption. Well, yeah. The white suit, the, right. what did reincarnation? That's Reincar what I was yeah. trying to think of. You mentioned the reincarnation and his religious side has always been, you know, part and parcel of Alice's of the complex dichotomy that makes Alice who he is. I have a very weird question for you. So I grew up Mormon and we love our rumors of who's Mormon and who isn't. Of course. And in your book, a few times you mentioned that his family come from the church of Jesus Christ, but right. you leave off the of Latter-day Saints part. 
but not of Latter-day Saints. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I guess, the wrong guy necessarily uh, to to talk about all these nuances. Okay. But okay. But that was a, you know, his grandfather and then his father, you know, came from this other church of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know if it's older or not. I can't, okay. can't give you the history of it. But it was more of a, you know, not a traveling you know, type of ministry. Maybe it was uh, one of the uh, offshoots of Mormonism or something like that. It may may well have been. Okay. Yeah, you didn't clarify, and I thought, so I was confused. And then it's either his dad or his grandpa or somebody has the middle name Moroni, which is a... That was um, a dad, yeah. Okay, that's his, and that name comes directly from the Book of Mormon. That's a very Mormon-specific name. And someone else's name was Ether, I believe. Oh, wait, the the dad is Ether, the grandfather Uh, was. yes. And that is also from the uh, from the Book of Mormon. And so I was trying to corroborate whether these rumors I'd heard my whole life about Alice Cooper actually being Mormon um, were true. And it sounds like they might have been. If he may not have been like part of the mainstream Mormon Church, but maybe more of an offshoot. But there is a history there. I was going to say maybe like one of the jazz improvisations yeah. of, the, of the faith, you know, yeah. uh, where, you know, sounds taking, like it. Yeah. I never, I never got the impression that it was a particular dogma other than the, other than the obviously yeah. the similarity of the basic teachings. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite? Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I wanted to stick with this, the, the religious sure. aspect. Um, when exactly, I, you mentioned it in the book, but when do you think his kind of born again Christianity really becomes part of who he is? Never once so in a pious or preachy no. way, which is the best part about it. But when does that really take hold for him? I think right after he got clean. That's what know, I thought. That, too. Yeah. And, you know, he part of, so his wife had left him at at that one point and the manager just, had left manager had left him too and they just said we can't we're not going to sit here and watch you die yeah you know we've done everything we can and you know alice to his great credit pulled himself out of it went back home to arizona to his parents and they got him in into the rehab that stuck and you know it really was losing those special people in his life and those connections that i think drove him yeah as well as his inner a, a real interdiscipline that did exist. So anyway, he he got clean, but part of the getting clean process and reuniting with uh, with Cheryl, with his wife, who was also the daughter of a minister, mm-hmm. was that they were going to re-embrace mm-hmm. the faith. And they tried yeah. they tried a couple yeah Christianity. They tried a couple of things before something stuck, and Alice found the rapport with a particular mm-hmm. pastor who who kind of understood where he was going through and helped helped Alice to understand and really recognize that there was Alice and there was that Alice mm-hmm. and that, that Alice, the man was not the Alice that spent 80 to 90 minutes on stage Good point. and being able to separate the two, you know, allowed the 23 and a half hour Alice to be a better person mm-hmm. and the nine, 80, 90 minute Alice on stage to be an even more ferocious incarnation of what he started back in the late sixties and seventies. It really was. And like you said about Al, you know, not being pious about it. One of the things I really respect about him in his Christianity is he walks a walk that's a lot louder than the talk. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't talk. 
No, he's not. He's not a thumper. If you ask him about it, he's happy to talk about it and and incredibly articulate. But he does good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you a lot of it. He does. And near the end of the book, some of the um, some of those top seventy five things are a lot of his charity work. Remind us what some of those things are. Well, the main one is uh, he he and Cheryl. Uh, found the Solid Rock Foundation. That's in right. Yes, and Solid that Rock. is that's to take care of kids at risk. And the vision they always had was to use the foundation to create these teen centers, mm-hmm. get these kids who might be selling or using drugs off the streets and into these centers where they could have free classes in music, dance, mm-hmm. video, filmmaking, um, technology. And they've opened two of them now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're they're incredibly successful. They want to open more in Arizona, and they'd like to expand them, mm-hmm. you know, in, into the rest of the world. And yeah, you know, that's that's just tremendous, you know, stuff. And he doesn't talk, and he doesn't he he really doesn't talk about it as a work of mission. Mm-hmm. He just talks about it as a good work. Yeah, and that's really that's really what I I admire that he he can do that. Same. We all know we all know so many you know very religious spiritual people who use it as a hook absolutely absolutely and he never does that i love it about him it's when you were talking in the book about his about cheryl almost leaving him and i think i can't imagine alice cooper without cheryl not anymore not after all these years no you know what i mean i mean if she had left and that had ended that would have been devastating because they're one of like the strongest power couples in rock you know what i mean Absolutely. They, yeah. you know, they, they work so well together. Uh, you know, Cheryl's still part of the show. You know, yeah. once, once the kids were grown and raised, she's out there. She gets to, you know, have her husband's head chopped off. Every night. Right. You know, she, she's the one who puts him in yeah. the straitjacket, you know, and it's, they, yeah. they have, they have a ball. Uh, well, and they're it. so well adjusted, all of them, even the kids, you know, yeah. it just, yeah. it, it brings it home that, a lot of it's showbiz. Not that it's not from the heart, but you can find a niche. You know, he found a niche for himself where I'm going to make this kind of music and I'm going to put on this kind of a show and I'm going to let that be the Trojan horse of my career. But behind the scenes, I'm a regular guy with a wife and I play a lot of golf and I'm a Christian and I give to charity. I keep the same manager. That um, Mike Myers documentary on Shep. Yeah, the uh, Yes, was great. It really I never was. heard of him, but I remember when Mike was doing the talk show circuit promoting it, and I thought, I gotta see this thing. Oh yeah, it's very illuminating. And Shep subsequently wrote a book. Yeah, uh, they call they call me Supermensch. And yeah, you know, here's this guy who he and Alice have never had a signed piece of paper between them. <laughs> they had a handshake in 1970, and that's that's what they still do. And yeah. then Shep went on. You know, Shep of course has managed other artists, and Shep created the celebrity Shep. The concept of of the celebrity chef, you know, because he started representing these chefs who felt like they should be getting a little more than they were just running their well-publicized restaurants. And now we have the Food Network. That's right. Yes. And I think he dated Sharon Stone or... uh, Um, My Raquel Welch. Oh, gosh. It's not fair. Well, you know this, Gary, because you're in rock and roll. What are schlubs like me doing? We got to get into rock and roll so we can date Raquel and Sharon. Maybe, but we hopefully we have good people in our lives. So we that do we have look, really good so people. We, That's we, true. Too. And we can look at Raquel and Sharon and say, ah, ah. it's <laughs> plastic. It's, that, he that can becomes, have that. That becomes a better our, thing over here. It's, it's a pretty good rationalization. Yeah, good point. 
Um, something else that was um, that I was coming kind of into view when I was reading the book is Alice's attraction to fringe personalities, specifically people like Salvador Dali, yeah. the great Randy. What's his that? Right, the not, amazing, the amazing, the amazing Randy, Randy amazing Randy. And yeah. I was thinking, were they fringe back then, or did did do you think Alice just saw like a kindred spirit? Like, let's just get weird. I well, like Dally, the weirdos. Yeah, Dally back then was probably mainstream fringe. Yeah. So you know, Alice and Dennis Dunaway were huge surrealist fans. They were art students in mm -hmm. in high school and loved the surrealists. So there was a natural attraction there, and and Dolly saw in Alice something very surrealistic. So they, they, you know, it was a match made in heaven and Dali, you know, Dali, you know, was the one who reached out because he had the idea for the piece for the, mm -hmm. the Alice's brain piece that, uh, that he, that he created. So, and then the amazing Randy, who was a magi magician, illusionist, whatever you want to call him, that was actually a Shep discovery because they knew they, they felt like they wanted and needed an illusionist for the billion dollar baby tour. Mm. And Shep called a magic shop in New York for a referral. And they, you know, he, they wound up with Randy who was considerably older than everybody in the band at the time, but was, mm -hmm. you know, was already a showman, you know, had his, had his bag of tricks and was able to, to pull those things off that were so special in the Alice yeah. Cooper show. There's actually a really interesting, for anyone who doesn't know, really interesting documentary on The Amazing mm -hmm. Randy yep. that came out a few years ago. Speaking of movies, I so I watched Monster Dog <laughs> a couple of years ago. It was on... And lived to tell about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It was, I can't remember the name of the channel. It's on, uh, it's a channel on cable that plays old, weird sci-fi movies. And uh, it was on there. I thought, ooh, yeah, with Alice Cooper, let's see what this is all about. And I'm watching it, and it's clear from the very beginning that his voice is dubbed. Oh, yeah. And it's dubbed the whole time. And you talk about it in the book. And Alice being kind of like the laid-back, easygoing guy is just like, oh, cool. And But I'm watching it like, that's not cool. I came here for Alice. Why is this dubbed? Do you know the story of that? Well, you know, Monster Dog was his actually his first step back. After, oh, okay. he after the rehab, after he cleaned up, and it was just this something to do, yeah. you know, to get his chops and everything back. And so they wound up with this Italian, you know, movie maker who was the schlock horror movie maker uh -huh. uh, at, at the time. And it was like, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, I don't think they, I don't think he, they regret it. You know, it, ser it served its purpose. It got him back and working and, and also in an area where he didn't mind being, which was the cult uh, mm -hmm. horror thing. But, you know, listen, this was not, this was not a Top Gun Maverick <laughs> mo movie, you know, movie production. <laughs> and, you Funny. know, so they, they wound up through lack of technical know-how and everything, having to dub voices. Uh -huh. uh, it's an abysmal edit. I mean, yes. it's, all, it's comic. I mean, it is, if uh -huh. you want, if you jump in there, wanting to see a bad movie and wanting to enjoy a comically bad movie it it works even though i i can honestly say i've never made it from soup to nuts through that movie i've seen it i've seen uh, the whole thing in, in increments but it's like yes. this is this is so bad i you know, was probably on my phone for the last you know how it is you start out interested and eventually you 
what someone sent me a text and then pretty yeah. soon you're just looking at your text not really watching yeah. the movie. yeah i'm gonna mow the lawn or something and come back to it but uh yeah it was but it, it served a particular purpose uh, at that okay. time and then then he went back to making you know making music hitting the road yeah and you know it, it, it proved to be a good kind of below relatively below the radar yeah you know, you know warm up Sure. And I, I sure. know the idea has been, bro, or at least people have asked him about remaking it and doing it right. And it's like, you know, let no, little, you. let 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 literal sleeping dogs lay. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's true. Comet. Comet is the name of the channel on cable that uh, okay. that plays those movies for anyone right. who was yelling at the phone. So let's say <laughs> let's say someone's listening to this and they know Alice and they know some of the hits and they think, where do I even begin? There's you know twenty seven albums on here or whatever it is that you cover in the book i can't remember where do I, where should i start what do you I would, think yeah well i would actually send people to the super duper alice cooper documentary well first. yeah yeah i would no i would i would just say listen or or to alice cooper golf monster or this mm -hmm. book really <laughs> of course <laughs> i was gonna say that I, actually after this where do you go i would yeah. i would i would tell people to learn about him and then listen you know, hopefully, you know, I'm 18 or school's out or poison. You know, those are, the, those are the real touchstones. But learn about him because I really do think when you know more about him, you can then listen to the music with an entirely different perspective that makes you appreciate it more. Songs that sound really weird and on the albums and have feel like they have no place in contemporary music <laughs> will, will, will make a whole lot of sense if you understand Alice. Yeah. Or if you know, or if you know more about Alice, so yeah, I would definitely start with the the, the documentary does such a good job of right. not on, of not only telling the story but conveying the character of the man. That's a really interesting point. You're right, as, as we were kind of talking about earlier, because the persona is so wrapped up in the entire package, and including the music and the albums and the songs and everything, they aren't meant to sort of stand on their own. They're part of a whole piece. Yeah, the better you understand what you're getting into, the more you might appreciate the music that's coming back from it. Right, and it wouldn't necessarily be the same case with like a, yeah, I don't know, a Led Zeppelin or a Bad Company, True. or maybe, or even the Beatles. You know, where yeah. the mu the music stands utterly and entirely by itself. That's so right. do so do Alice's songs, especially the hit, but mm -hmm. the hits. Mm -hmm. But if you know more about alice you can listen to you know those west side story references <laughs> on schools out you can hear hello hooray in a, yes. in, a in a different light you you understand more about where the where those songs came from and what they were intended to do yes and good they point. don't sound they don't sound strange after that good point in thinking about him so much while reading your book i come back to the idea that the wayne's world moment it was key in reintroducing him to a new generation and not just reintroducing him wayne and garth at that moment were two of like the coolest people on the planet yeah. suddenly bohemian rhapsody is cool suddenly saying we're not worthy is cool suddenly everything those two are doing is deemed cool and if they like alice cooper all the aspiring people, little kids or whatever, who are watching this thinking, well, I guess I should listen to Queen now, too, are now thinking, oh, I guess I should take Alice Cooper seriously, too. I hadn't exactly. been doing that before. Exactly. You know, that yeah. is what happened. You know, he had, he had had poison, you know, mm -hmm. and so he was kind of back 
in the mainstream eye. And then, you know, to a lesser degree, Hey Stupid, you know, was also successful and he was doing well on the road. So yeah, Wayne's World was the capper. You know, uh-huh. it was it was part of a three-pronged return and to be such a part of such a wild, a wildly uh, popular movie in such a great role. Yeah. You know, and he was it was so great. I mean, he's he's told me on a few occasions, I guess the if there's an outtake reel of his sequence, it really? must be hysterical. Cause he said they were doing that scene for like a half an hour and Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were doing everything they could to crack him up to break him. And he said some of the stuff was just filthy. I bet. You know, utterly filthy. But I think never, your book mentions that. Too. Yeah. He yes. never cracked. He never broke character. Um, <laughs> another key, and, and another key thing that was part of that was, you know, they, the filmmakers, of course, wanted Alice to do like Schools Out or I'm 18. Yes. And Shep insisted that it be yep. Feed My the Frankenstein, yeah. um, a new song. So that may also made it somebody could go out if somebody decided they wanted to dive into Alice Cooper and buy the latest Alice Cooper album. They heard the song they heard in Wayne's World. That's right. Brilliant. There's a lot of there's a lot of brilliance around Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. There is um, himself. This is savvy. Yes. Yeah, yes. Just, you know, great ideas. All the stunts, the promotional stunts they pulled, yeah. you know, whether whether it was Chef Gordon putting that chicken on stage in Toronto in 1969 to, just to see what happened yeah. uh, to, uh, you know, initially planning to wrap schools out in pan, in these paper panties that they were getting importing from Europe yeah. that he that he knew would be seized by customs and so they'd get so they'd get you know publicity there's so much of that and it's just it is just brilliant it really is it really is speaking of uh one other thing i want to mention uh, and give you a a moment to kind of plug the book again within the book is um the party favors the party favors and david bowie's book that we talked about on here with martin had one too but there's these just gorgeous you know glossies of him with the snake and posters and everything tell us about it now that's just you know and i, I defer to the publisher who oh, okay you know, again have always you know all the books i've done with them have just been incredible incredible pieces you know physical pieces and so this is what they had in mind for the 75 series that these were going to be souvenir pieces you know these were, these these were going to be real keepsakes yeah. And you have to do that, much akin to the music industry now. People aren't buying physical books mm-hmm. like they used to. So if you're going to get somebody to buy a physical book, it's got to be special. It's got to look special. It's got to have a yeah. black, vel- black velvet cover. Mm, Gorgeous. Smooth. Know. You know, and then and then party favors yeah. <laughs> uh, to, be, to be part of it. I sometimes, um, this would never happen, but sometimes I feel like when you buy a new CD or a new album, um, you should expect a thank you card from the, from, not really, but almost because it's like, I don't have to do this. You know, right. I could get this for free right now. I'm doing this because I care about you. Yeah. I'm invested in you and it should come with a, Hey John, thanks so much for buying our new album. You're not very many. We know no one's doing this anymore, but it means a lot. Say hi next time we're in town or whatever. Um, oh, but anyway, in the larger in the larger part of the music industry that is being, done in different ways you know the vip experience and the, there's a greater ability to connect with your artists now yeah. than there's ever been and one of the things that happened during the lockdown portion of the pandemic was that opened up 
even further, you could buy your via your VIP Zoom experience and yes. and be talking to your favorite artist from their home. And That's what it, you know, and I really feel like you know it made greater connections between yeah. fans and artists. I agree. One thing I wanted to mention that uh, one of the party favors is this, and people, I'm holding it up so you and I can see it, but people aren't going to see it. There's this great poster of Alice Cooper Winterland, September 24th and 25th. What year was this? Do you know? I believe it was 1972. Oh, goodness. Um, great. We could go to setlist.com uh, you know, set oh, yeah, probably. I'll, and, I'll do that when and we get search on. that out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah. No, that was, but that's, you know, it's, a, that's a cool piece to have. And yeah, but it's, it's nice to have all those, I agree. you know, you, you want this to be a real, ex you want, we wanted the book to be a real experience. They are. Not, and this publisher yeah. does that incredibly. Oh, yeah. yeah incredibly. No, they, do, they do great work. And similarly, yeah. the, the Neil Young book I did with them, the rock and roll miss book, uh, Ooh, nice. that I, that I did with, uh, my co-author Dan Durkholz were, uh, were great, you know, were really great. nicely packaged pieces. But this ad, this at 75 series is, just takes that to a whole other level. Are you working on any more at 75 books for them right now? We're talking about it. Oh, you know, okay. You know, they have, they have kind of a hit list in mind. Yeah. They're, they're figuring out who else they want to do. So hopefully I'll be able to jump on another one. Oh, you yeah. and I might be doing this again down the road. Then. I, I would love right. that. I would too. Uh, lastly, let's talk about the effect of golf in his life. That seems to have been in a lot of ways his saving grace That's aside from like the, the religious saving grace yeah, how often does he plays do you he know play, he plays he tries to play once a day um except sunday yep. which, which is reserved and uh, i guess he was playing twice a day until cheryl said enough um oh. understand understandably you know uh -huh. but um no he loves the game he actually started golfing back in the early 70s mm. um started playing it and he was kind of a natural at it and uh so it's something he kind of went back to and uh you know it's listen you get out in the you get out in the fresh air sure and and in nature yeah. <laughs> of a sort yeah. and you know i mean when i play golf i you know i i get to raise my blood pressure <laughs> alice, Al, alice not as much because he's a great golfer yeah and yes. uh so yeah that and that and shopping are his two kind of uh addictions now much have in both cases much healthier than his previous addiction and he lives in arizona right right so he can golf as much as he wants do you know i was wondering well i'm doing the math okay this guy golfs every day sometimes twice a day he's in arizona where it's always warm and there's probably a hundred different golf courses do you know if he has like a particular favorite that he goes to you don't have to tell me what it is i'm not trying right. to you know but i'm curious does he go to the same one every day until he feels like he mastered it like a video game or does he just travel around all the time he has he has a regular couple of courses Okay. that he like that he likes to play on but he will you know listen when he goes on the road oh of course and, and because he's a callaway spokesman any city he goes into you know they're setting up golf at the best courses in the you That's know right. around around the country so yeah. so he you know he has and around the world so he has yeah. really you know he has he's seen golf yes. from every angle <laughs> yeah he doesn't have to rent his gear anywhere anyway uh, yeah, no. anywhere in the world anymore <laughs> Well, good. Okay, uh, Gary, tell me your favorite Alice song, and make it a deep cut. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna bookend this interview with the 
one of my favorites and one of yours. Let's okay. close it out with one of yours. What's these yours? Are always, first, these are always the hard questions, of, of course, course right? because because um, there are so many I like, and I'm I'm going to go with it's not a it's not the deepest of cuts, but it's it's on the upper echelon. But it it was the twelve year old me. Uh, that got into no more mr nice guy even though uh, killer, even though killer was the first album i do remember hearing no more mr nice guy on the radio and just thinking that's my jam yes that's a song i want this i want the single uh of course i bought billy the billion dollar baby's album when it came out but it just it just got me you know it's very rolling stonesy of course it's got mm -hmm. that great that great guitar riff you know lovely yes love the autobiographical lyrics and the and the arrangement with the with the breakdown and everything at the start of the third verse and i still whenever when i hear it on the radio you know the volume goes way up nice okay yeah, so that and so there's a strong sentimental attachment there there's i believe a, it there's a cognitive attachment to other songs like okay mm -hmm. i know i know this is the hip song this is the cool song but mm -hmm. but if we're talking on pure emotion it's going to be no more mr this guy that's a good pick. You know what I found when I was um, going back over his discography? For whatever reason, the album that was really kind of hitting me this time was uh, Goes to Hell. Yeah. I really like that album more than I thought I would or thought I had the last time I heard it or whatever. Because, And I think it's because, I mean, I really like disco music. And around that period, everybody, the Stones, whoever, is starting to kiss you know, kissing cousins of Alice Cooper are starting right. to embrace those dance rhythms into their rock music. And I love when they do that really well. And for yeah, whatever reason, well. yes, when it's done that's well, exactly. That's the, that's key, the yeah. key. And I felt like there was a lot going on in Alice Cooper goes to hell where they, I thought he did it well. He was that very, really you know, surprised me. As a, you know, especially that was during his party years. So he was very, yeah. cog he was very cognizant of that scene. Good point. You know, if yeah. he, you know, he didn't, I don't know that he spent a ton of time at Studio 54, but he knew the scene. Yes. And he, and he understood it. He and the people he was working with um, understood it from a, from a musical level and a creative level. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. What's going to keep this party going? Let's right. make an album that would fit that vibe. Well, they that's were definitely thinking, they were also thinking stage show yeah. at the time too. So let's, let's incorporate this into Good the point. stage show yes. and, uh, and let's juxtapose this contemporary dance music with some classic kind of old school MGM musical theatrics yeah, on stage. And let's, let's, you know, let's see how these fit together. One last thing. I mean, sure. Alice, what you just said reminded me that I don't know that Alice would have made it without Bob Ezrin. And that's not a knock on Alice, but if anyone conceptualized yeah. how Alice should be, put out to the world in the best light it was bob ezrin great irony in that in that you know bob ezrin was told by his boss uh who was jack richardson he had produced the guess who and uh shep was courting shep gordon was courting jack richardson to produce alice cooper bob ezrin had just come to work at nimbus nine which was richardson's company and was basically directed by richardson to get rid of these guys <laughs> you know we don't want to work with them but they because they were you know so such nice people they at least yeah. convinced them to at least come see them live and ezrin this is why he's a great producer you know he had the he had the ears to hear in this psychedelic mess that was alice cooper yeah. at the time there's something there yeah. are there are the the rudiments of songs here including 
um, 18, which was yeah. at the time something he heard in an 18 minute jam mm -hmm. that they were and he doing thought it was I'm stage. angry. Right. right. He thought it was I'm yeah. angry, but, but he heard the rudiments in that song. And so he knew, he knew how to take the band's ideas and sculpt them into songs. Yeah. And, sure he and he taught that to the band. They were, they were quick studies. So they, you know, when they got, when they got to killer, Mm -hmm. you know they were coming to the table with more you know with with more sculpted ideas of their own yeah. uh, but no he is he is he's the key creative part yes with, with with all you know apologies to the original band members well, no. Bob Esmond's, Bob yeah. Esmond's the key yeah. creative partner in Alice yep. Cooper's career and and still is yep yep been the producer, I agree you know, yeah so I agree um, well, thank you, Gary, for chatting with me. The book is gorgeous, and I, I hope that it's a success, as all of these At 75 books deserve to be, because they're really incredible tokens um, for collectors like us, you know? Sure. And we really, really appreciate are. and we appreciate the time and support, too. Of course. Yeah. Happy to do it. All right, there you have it. Alice Cooper at 75. These books are gorgeous. And uh, we're giving one away. First of all, I got to just say thanks to Mr. Graff for coming on the show and uh, discussing his beautiful new book with me. So these books, as I've mentioned before, they're kind of like uh, coffee table books, but they're coffee table books that you can read. So you read it and it's full of like hundreds of unique photographs. Um, we're going to give a copy away. If you can't tell, I'm in Hawaii. I'm in front of our Airbnb. It's raining as it often does in Hawaii in February, unfortunately. So we aren't at the beach yet, but when I get back next week, I'll post something on the Patreon page for the subscribers, uh, get a read on who's interested in receiving the book, and I'll do a drawing when I get back. So um, anyone who wants to, sign up for Patreon if you have not done already. Two bucks a month puts you in the running for things, for things like this, and that's uh, not a big donation. Plus it helps out the show, so why not? And the link to it is in the description of this show. And uh, like I said, I'll be back next week and I'll pick a winner then, okay? Thanks everybody, we love you.